So here we are back in Philippians. If you're visiting with us or you just haven't been here for some time, um, I'm not going to take a, a ton of time to review this morning. You can turn your handout over and you can see that we've already been through the first three chapters and now we're deep into chapter four. We have highlighted a couple amazing themes through this book as Paul, through God's spirit, brings out this exhortation and encouragement to the church of Philippi. We see clear exhortation and encouragement surrounding this gospel-centered, gospel-transformed living. How the gospel speaks into every single decision that we make all the way through the week, clearly in this book. One of those other themes that we see through this book is unity through humility. Another theme that we see through this book, several times it shows up, is joy in the Lord. Well, last week we looked at this based on chapter one or chapter four, verse one, stand firm in the Lord. This resolve we have in the Lord, but this resolve is also to be surrounded by graciousness and what, what Paul calls gentleness and reasonableness in the body of Christ. So we walked through that last week. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace a gracious approach to life and ministry. Standing firm on the dogmatics of the scriptures, our theology, but then realizing in practical ways we are to show grace and kindness day in, day out. Even as we talked about last week with that person that just, you get in your car and you just rack your head against your steering wheel because you ran into that person again at church. Let your graciousness, your kindness, your gentleness be made known to everyone. Why? Well, the Lord's at hand. God is present and God is big enough to deal with the differences in the body of Christ. So that's where we left off last week. This week, we're going to jump into and kind of unpack two very, very familiar verses. Uh, probably verses you memorized when you were a little critter. Uh, maybe in Awana or in a church program. You started memorizing this, and your parents would probably remind you of these verses often. These verses deal with a very, very practical issue in the body of Christ, in our personal walk with Christ, and that is stress, burdens anxieties. How do we handle anxieties? Um, I, I want us to think about this in a very practical way. In fact, as I share a couple questions, if God brings one of these anxieties to your minds, I want to encourage you, take your pen and write this at the top of your paper. Because I know that because we live in this broken world, even though we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as we walk in these doors today, some of us are carrying a two-ton load of bricks on our shoulders. The burdens of this week. So the question is this. What burden are you carrying right now? What is it? Maybe it's a, a financial burden. Maybe some of you in here, it's not a big deal. Finances for you. Well, that's nice for all one or two of us in this room. <laughs> not me. What financial burden are you carrying right now? We're talking about a mortgage payment that is possibly past due. What about this unexpected trip to the hospital that ate up your car payment 
for the next two months. What about that $1,500 blown head gasket in your truck that you've got to figure out how you're going to deal with so you can drive to work? Whatever financial burden you're carrying, I, I don't know, maybe it's not financial, maybe it's relationship, relational, which is, and that's right where so many of us are at. What relational burden did you walk in with this morning? And we're talking about maybe a son or a daughter who refuses to return the call or text of a, of a loving mom or a dad who just wants to, to speak two or three words of grace to that kid. What about a close friend who seems to have abandoned the faith and your heart is just yelling out, come back to Jesus? What about a relational burden of a mom or dad who seems to treat you with such contempt? What about a neighbor who glares at you every single time you see them? What about your employer who mocks you regularly in in front of all of your other fellow employees? What about your employee friend that lied about you to your boss? I don't know what relational burden you might come to the church with today. What about, maybe it's not financial or relational, maybe it's emotional. You ever carry these deep emotional burdens sometimes and you can't really even explain it. But all you know is that when you lay your head on your pillow that night, tears come and they flood. You've been there. That gut-wrenching stomach pain from a conversation you know you need to have in the future but you're afraid to have it. You know that gut-wrenching pain in your stomach that you can't seem to get rid of. What burden did you come in this morning with relationally? Maybe those nerves that are just shot from a school project you might fail in a class that you definitely need to pass to get that degree. That emotional turmoil that you're going through right now as you're sitting here. Like, thank you, Pastor Andrew, for bringing that up. I didn't want to think about it today. Well, here we go. What about that that physical burden? What are we talking about? That chronic pain that seems to be getting worse and worse every single week you come to church. Those symptoms that you've been ignoring but that seem to point right to cancer. That diagnosis that you don't want anyone else to know about. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've been there. You're there right now and you don't want to talk to anybody about it. But you know there's something going on in your body. doesn't feel good and it scares you. Maybe that's the burden you're carrying right now. What burden are you carrying? Maybe it's not financial, relational, or emotional, or physical. Maybe it's uh, just simply social or even political. There's some here that watch the political framework of what's happening, the political structure of our country, and you just shake your head and be like, what is happening? That deep fear for the life, maybe not your life, you're not so afraid of your life, but that deep fear for the life of your children that have to grow up in this country, and you're like, what's happening? You carry that burden? Maybe that threat of a ridiculous virus that could potentially make us way to Redding, California. What burden did you carry today? What burden are you carrying right now? If you were to write down a burden at the top of your list today, and and maybe you're like, Pastor Andrew, you said one burden. Man, I've got like a load of burdens. What would you write down at the top of your piece of paper right now? That burden. I'm talking about that burden. What nagging thought is on your mind that when you rest your head on your pillow at night, 
keeps you up for hours and hours on end. As angry as you get. Because i got a busy day tomorrow. I can't sleep. You ever been there? What's that burden? What is that stress in your life right now? So in some of the breaks we had this week, I enjoyed thinking on stress. And I found myself wondering about what, because I was raised in a Christian home, often talk of a biblical worldview, but I think about how would someone that's not been redeemed by God's grace, how would they process stress? So I started looking at different creative ideas that uh, secular culture would bring to us when it comes to dealing with stress. I want to tell you, my head just started shaking. Uh, I, you know, kind of on a lighter side, I'll share one of them. Um, I found this article. This was written for post-grad students by a licensed master social worker considering her... uh, considering herself a life coach. I'm a life coach, and here's some great thoughts on how to manage your stress. Here's the title of the article was, The Most Powerful Way to Release Worry and Anxiety. Uh, I'll just read a couple portions of this this morning, because it blew my mind this week. Um, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry, and I found myself being very anxious and getting stressed that no one else reads this. Please don't read this. But nonetheless, as I read through this, I found myself thinking, what would my life be like without Jesus Christ? Where could I turn? I mean, we're talking about a very, very, very smart person writing to post-grad students about how to deal with their stress. Here's some of the article. Many of the smart, ambitious people I coach, who I call sensitive strivers. So if you have stress in your life right now, you are a sensitive striver. What an awesome name. They struggle with racing thoughts. Okay, they struggle with worry. They say it's hard to turn off their brain at night. And I'm thinking about this sometimes like, yeah, that's me, often. Because they are so attuned to what's happening both within and around them, they tend to process information more deeply. While this can be a tremendous advantage... It can also lead to overthinking situations, long hours, increased pressure to succeed, regular demands only add to this word, stress. So I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, you got it. These things happen. Sensitive strivers struggle with stress. So I'm like, okay, where are we going with this? There's got to be good coming from this. This person says, in my work as a coach, there's one technique that helps my clients snap out of the destructive cycle of worry, uh, rumination, she calls it, time and time again. And that is, and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, yes, here it is, taking a worry break. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, so the best way to deal with my worry is worry harder. Take a worry break. I'm sorry, start reading about this. A worry break is a scheduled time, and it's creative. Granted, it's very creative how she tries to deal with this, but it's definitely not a biblical worldview. And so, a worry break is a scheduled time that you set aside to focus on the anxieties or problems that are preoccupying you. Instead of letting your worries seep into every moment, you intentionally compartmentalize them to a block of time during which you can deal with them productively. Consider this. Spending 15 to 20 minutes a day on a worry deep dive, she calls it. It can ultimately reduce your worries and help 
you cope with effect, uh, more effectively with the challenges thrown at you. During your worry break, here it is. Worry intentionally, worry intensely, but worry well. When your scheduled worry break arrives, don't do anything but worry. When your worry break is over, switch gears. If you feel fixated on a problem, remember that you only uh, that you'll you'll have another worry break on your calendar that you can worry about. So worry away when the time is right. I mean, very creative, I think. But as I'm reading about, I'm thinking in my mind, you're telling me the best way to deal with my worry is to worry harder? To be more intentional about my worry? I mean, isn't there a better option? Of all of the things you can say, isn't there a better option of how to deal with my worry? And as brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cross Point Community Church, we from the scriptures can dynamically say, yes, there's a better way to deal with our, our stress, our burdens, our anxieties. Those burdens you walked in the, to- store with, uh, in the doors with today, there is a very precise way to deal with this stress, this burden, this anxiety, this worry. And we find it directly in the passage that we're studying today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So would you look with me at these well-known verses this morning, and let's unpack these verses and take a fresh view at some verses we already know. Here it is, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do you say? What if we impact these verses this morning? Let's take some time. Let's look at this. So we impact these verses. We look at them very simply. I want us to look at this key idea, can I unpack this key idea based on verse 1 of chapter 4, standing firm in the Lord. One of the temptations of standing firm in the Lord is that we get very anxious about our stand. We get very discouraged about our stand. The burdens that come on our shoulders as we're standing firm in the Lord. And very clearly, Paul in this passage says, as you stand firm in the Lord, and those anxieties come, here's how to deal with them. As we stand firm in the Lord, very simply, we must choose to turn all of our anxieties into prayers. Paul uses this discussion now to highlight this amazing privilege that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ, worshipers of Yahweh, that we have direct access because of our Lord, our high priest, to talk with God on a regular basis. And Paul says, that high priest, guess what? He's interested in the struggles you're going through right now. Those burdens that you can't talk to anybody about, guess what? The great creator and sustainer of all life, he wants to hear them. He wants you to talk to him about them. So what is this passage? How do we deal with this? How do we we turn our anxieties into prayer? Well, simply a couple things today, a couple ideas from this passage, starting with this one. By obeying the clear exhortations. Okay, so how do we transition? And I'm going to say, how do we transition these? 
trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Okay, So trust and obey. And how do I come up with that? Well, in this verse, verse 6, there's two imperatives. I mean, when you go to the New Testament, these are commands. These aren't suggestions. These are commands, imperatives. What are the imperatives in this passage? Well, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There are two clear imperatives. In both of these verses, the two primary imperatives. Here's the first one. Don't be anxious. Refuse it. To be anxious means to care deeply for something, to be very concerned about it. And here's what it is. To carry a heavy, heavy, heavy burden. To worry. And what does Paul say in this passage? Don't be anxious. The simple idea is this, don't allow, and I love it in this ter- these terms, don't allow the seeds of worry to make their way into your garden. Pull them out. We're trying to resurrect a yard that's sort of been abandoned for some time and put some sprinklers in there and all that. I find myself regularly walking through this yard and what am I doing? I can't walk through our yard and start starting to pull stuff out of there and get rid of it. Uh, these, these, uh, Northern California star thistles or whatever. Bother the snot out of me. We've only been here a year. Walking through my yard, I find these things. I'm pulling them out. And these other little things you step on that make you uh, not scream praises to Jesus. <laughs> I'm walking through the yard. And I'm pulling these things out regularly. I'm trying to groom this, this, this yard to make it a nice plush Yard And what am I doing? I'm discarding these things. Well, think of it in that terms. That What are you doing as you throw your burdens to Jesus Christ? You're cleaning the garden out. You're downloading. You're extracting the burdens in our life. Take these weeds and get them out. Rather than be anxious, there's a second imperative in this passage. And here it is. It's towards the end of this verse. Clear imperative is this. Don't be anxious, but let your requests be made known to God. Hey, this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. It's a command. As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we transition our anxieties from anxieties to prayer? How do we make that transition? Well, we obey. I mean, we don't want to make it too complicated here. We obey the imperative of Scripture. And what's the imperative of Scripture? Don't worry about it, but pray about it. Simply this, take your burdens straight to God. I mean, it's a command that says, talk to God. You know, sometimes in our minds we're thinking, wow, do we really need that in command form? (laughs) Oh man, we have to talk to the great creator and sustainer of all life. The one who holds everything together. I've got to talk to him. No, rather, it's a privilege. But nonetheless, in this passage, it's shared in imperative form. And what's the imperative? Take your burden to Jesus. Take it to God. Talk to him about it. Don't hold on to it and let it fester. Take it to him. I love the imagery in the scriptures. In the Old Testament and New Testament. David. who Did David know a little bit about burden? Absolutely. What does David say in Psalm 55, 22? I love the imagery here. And it's quoted again in the New Testament. We'll look at it in a minute. He says this. In the Song of David. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 
wow. Okay, that quote from Psalm 55 shows up from another New Testament author, and you know who it is because we quote this verse often. It's Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7. And what does he say? He says the exact same thing. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. You ever heard that verse? Those two casts, casting all, or cares, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Those are actually two different words. And the first word, care, it's actually the same word translated in Philippians 4 for anxieties. Casting all your anxieties upon him. And that word cast is beautiful. Because it's not like just, okay, just release them to him. I'll let him have them. That word cast in the scriptures is one, and you can go through and kind of plot out how it's used. It's one that says to like propel, launch them, get them out of your hands and away from you and launch it. And, and ironically enough, or I guess to say intentionally enough, that's exactly the word Paul uses here for how we are to handle our worries. Don't hold on to them. But launch him with all you've got to the one that can actually do something about it. God. So what are the two imperatives? And we'll kind of speed up our process here. The two imperatives are this. Don't be anxious, but let your requests be made known unto God. The key point here is don't harbor. Don't shelter your burdens. Rather, propel your burdens. Let your requests be made known unto God. Clearly enough, speak your burdens confidently to God, the one who could do something about it. So, because this is actually an imperative for the new covenant believer, guess what? This morning we are called to obey this imperative. But we don't want to stop there, because the passage clearly doesn't stop with two imperatives. It's beautiful in how he packs it with detail. So, the clear exhortation's this. Don't be anxious, but let your requests be made known. Talk to God about it. Now let's look at some beautiful details in this whole deal. Details that allow us to actually do this. Details that allow us to free ourselves from this, by the way. This week, thanks to, to Dave, we had some good laughs uh, this week. Lots of good laughs in our car. Um, a lot of it surrounded by a GPS unit that was just going haywire in, in Los Angeles. In this minivan that turned into turbo minivan with Mike Woods driving it, we had a lot of, of good laughs. One of those good laughs was surrounded about an illustration about worry. And um, so this comes actually, so Dave mentioned this, and we, we really had fun talking about it. I found it in Jay Adams' book called Why, What to Do About Worry, talking about transitioning our worries from us to God. And here's this brief little story that we found in this book. Joe, it's, Joe used to worry all the time about everything. His friends all knew him as a worrier. One day... His friend Bill was walking down the street when he saw his worrying friend bouncing along as happy as a man could possibly be. Joe was actually whistling and humming and wearing a huge smile as if, as if he didn't have a care in the world. Bill couldn't hardly believe his eyes. It was obvious that a radical transformation had taken place. Bill had known Joe from way back as a chronic warrior, so he had to find out what happened to his friend. He stopped Joe and asked, Joe, dude, what happened to you? You don't seem worried anymore. 
I've never seen a happier man than you. Joe replied, oh, it's wonderful, Bill. I haven't worried for several weeks now. Bill continued, that's great. How did you manage that? What, what brought about the change in your life? Joe explained, you see, I hired a man to do all my worrying for me. You hired a man to do all your worrying for you? Right, Joe assured him. Well, Bill mused, tell me, how much does he charge you? A thousand dollars a week, Joe said. A thousand dollars a week? How could you possibly raise a thousand dollars a week to pay him? Joe answered, I don't know, that's his worry. I think about that in terms of our relationship with God. Hey, we have a God who wants our worries. He didn't charge us anything. He, he took care of that on the cross of Calvary. He wants to hear our worries, so propel them to Him. When we're asked, well, how did that transformation happen in your life? I don't know. That's His worry. So let's now see some of these details and this meaningful detail situation because he packs the text full of these meaningful details. In verse 6, surrounding these two imperatives, we find four phrases that really bring amazing detail to the story here. Um, He says this, Do not be anxious about anything. And as we go through this, just note those prepositions. Beautiful prepositions that bring things to life. Do not be anxious, and here's the first one, about anything. But, here's another one. In everything. There's another one. By prayer and supplication. Here's another one. With thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Let's just take a couple minutes and unpack these, these details. Starting with this one. Do not be anxious about anything. Or if you switch it around as some of your translations will do. It will say something like this. Be anxious for nothing. Getting right to the point. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't hold on to any worries. This is not an, like, like an open-ended discussion here. This is not a discussion on selective worries or worry timeouts or worry breaks or managed worries. No, this is all in. Don't be worried about anything. I was thinking through this this week and I, my, the Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 6. I love this. Because in the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself used the exact same word that Paul has used in in Philippians 4. And he uses it six times in this section. So if Jesus Christ himself uses this word six times in a passage, I probably ought to read this passage. So I'm going to invite you to go to Matthew 6 with me. I don't often have you turn to different passages. But if you and your Bible or your device would go to Matthew 6, and I, I just want to read verses 25 to 34 this morning. I won't dwell on this too much, but I absolutely love this passage passage when thinking of of how complete this concept of anxieties, taking them to Christ, is. Verse 25, if you're there in Matthew chapter 6, here it is. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, same word, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And this is not necessarily a put on because of what you ate. (laughs) It is more like clothes. I think we all understand what happens when we eat too much. That's not that put on. 
but clothes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Okay, so if you're doubting, look up to the skies. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious, there's the word again, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And what is the question? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all of these things, and your Father, or the godless, seek all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But, here it is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, here's the conclusion of this section by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Guess why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. <laughs> I love that. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What has Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, just done? Six times he uses the exact same word for anxious that Paul uses in Philippians 4. Highlighting three major topics of life. What we'll eat, what we'll wear, and tomorrow. I mean, it's like Christ is saying this is everything. Everything in your life. Uh, we were talking about that this week. Food, fashion, and future. Stop worrying about those things. Why? He's got them. These are in his hands. He's the creator of all life, and he is also the sustainer of all life. So, do not be anxious about anything, but here we have another one, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Again, this is not selective. It's all-inclusive. In everything. In every situation of life. In every single circumstance that you find yourself in. It's not like, okay, I will take these 10 things and not worry about them, but I've got one or two of them, these pet worries, that I'm just going to kind of hold a little tighter. Now, weed those ones out of the garden. Jesus wants those two worries in your life. Do not be worried about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. He uses these words, prayer and supplication. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas of what this, these two words mean, prayer and supplication. They mean talking with God. <laughs> Um, some will designate it as like prayer being a general conversation with God that we're supposed to have all the way through the day. And I kind of see it in line with this. Prayer is some, a general conversation like we find in 1 Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing, talk with God regularly. And there's another word he uses, that's the word supplication. I would say that would be like the urgent call, I need you right now kind of thing. Prayer and supplication. Supplication is like when the... Tears flow out of your face, and you're calling out from help. I need you, Lord, right now. And what does Paul say? In everything, by prayer and supplication. And then he adds another qualifier here, another beautiful detail. And here it is. With thanksgiving. 
What? I mean, that's not normally one you would throw into this discussion. But clearly it's one that God Almighty, through his Holy Spirit, wants in this passage. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What is this? I had a godly mentor in my life in college. He reminded us often of this equation. Prayer is not as much a demonstration of discipline as it is a declaration of dependence. Did you catch that? Prayer in my life is not as much a a demonstration of how disciplined I can be to get on my knees every day as much as it is a declaration of dependence that I need you today. I can't take another step without you. And as you're taking steps with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the day, we're looking back and saying, thank you for that step you gave me grace to take. Thank you for supplying the needs for that step. Rather than being worried about the next step, we're thankful for the past step that he's given us. The grace to take another step. And Paul says, in all of that, saturate all of this discussion with gratitude. Why? What does gratitude do? I mean, this is very practical. When we're consumed with our own prayer and supplication, our own worry, when we're consumed with our own burdens, a lot of time, where is our focus? Let's just be honest. On, On me, me, me. My struggles, my burden, my anxieties. When we transition that to prayer with gratitude, where does our focus very quickly go? Oh, I've got such a good God. He's such a powerful Savior. And so through prayer and supplication, our view with thanksgiving is transitioning from us, from us, from us, to him, to him, to him, which fits perfectly in line with the entire purpose of our existence, to give glory to a powerful God. So as we bring our supplication to this God, it is with prayer, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When we are thankful, our eyes will go from us to him. We will go from gazing at our problem and glancing at God to gazing at God and glancing at our problem only long enough to release them to him. It's called the gaze and glance principle. This week, this song has been going through my mind. Maybe you know it. When upon life's billows your tempest tossed, When you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings and name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. (laughs) Another song was coming to my mind this week. We did a lot of singing this week. It was awesome. A lot of singing and preaching and fellowshipping. And we're singing. This other verse was coming to my mind this week. Uh, Even driving in the car. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace, brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know what burden you're carrying right now. Physical, financial, social, emotional. But I know this, there's hope for a look at the Savior who cares for you right now. He loves you 
deeply. Let's continue with, with one final observation through these two verses. Not only do we see how do we transfer our anxieties from anxieties to prayer, not only do we simply need to obey by God's grace, not only do we see these details, but here's another aspect of this, by finding comfort in, his, in the gracious assurances. And I absolutely love this verse. The Holy Spirit of God knows exactly what we need. And as we are driven to these imperatives and details, he doesn't stop there. He brings to us gracious promises that we have to hold on to. Which is so, it's so critical in understanding sanctification and our spiritual walk. That yes, we're obeying God. Yes, we're taking one step after another. But you know what? Those imperatives, those commands are based on things he's already done for us. His grace. I cannot take a step without his grace. And what are the promises in this passage? Well, I think they start with what we looked at last week. The Lord is at hand. I mean, straight from the Lord is at hand into this discussion. So we need to go back contextually and see this. The Lord is at hand, verse 5. Again, what is this we looked at last week? Simply this. God is present. God knows. I I love what Jesus Christ is saying himself in Matthew 6. Again, in Matthew 6, he says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And he uses this term for our God. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven. God Almighty wants to be known as a loving Father. As we walk through this life, as we have these burdens, the burdens we carried in this morning, we are to look at a God who wants to relieve us of these burdens as a loving Father. I've been thinking about our lives with our our five kids. And the joys we have in our home. But also some days are not so joyful. <laughs> um, our little daughter Emma is going through some teething or some, something going on. And for the last couple of weeks, she's been waking up in the middle of the night, two or three, and just hollering out and crying until someone comes in there. And so you know what it's like as a parent. Sometimes I lay there and ignore it, just hoping that Hannah will get up and be a faithful mom that she's supposed to be. I'm sleeping. And she'll get out of bed and go take care of it. Then every once in a while, embrace my call as a father to go and lovingly talk to my little daughter who's crying out. I'm going to tell you, when I go talk to my daughter and she's in her little bed, on the bunk bed, and she's just crying, she's beside herself. <coughs> I find myself doing this. Putting my hand on her and saying something like this. It's okay, Emma. Dad's here. Dad's here. She takes her little blanket and she folds it into her arm, takes her thumb, she sucks her thumb, she curls up and goes right back to sleep as I stay up for the next four hours. <laughs> but in my mind, I think that's exactly what God the Father does for us in those night times when we can't sleep and we're crying out to God. I need you. I need some help. And what does God Almighty do? The Lord is at hand. He comes to us and he says, it's okay, Dad's here. Dad's got you. Don't worry, Dad's here. When I see verse 5, it says, the Lord is at hand. I'm looking at this passage and thinking, that's okay, God's here. I think we find that further distinguished in verse 7. Further 
detailed, this blessed assurance that we have in this God, this detailed assurance says this, not only is the Lord at hand, but the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, that is this inner calm, this inner stillness, this settled tranquility, comfort, and assurance that can only come from God. The reference of God, the peace of God, is actually what's known as a a genitive of source. In other words, it comes specifically from God. You cannot find this peace aside from God. You can look in a lot of places for peace, but you're not going to find this type of comfort aside from God. It's completely squared on his shoulders as God. The peace of God. In fact, Paul in Galatians explains that the fruit of the Spirit can only be enjoyed by true believers who have come to Christ through repentant faith. And what is one of those mentioned fruit of the Spirit? Peace. This is what God Almighty is doing for his little kids. I'm here. It's okay. Dad's here. He's got this. More is said about this peace. I love it. It surpasses all understanding. As much as we want to wrap our minds around this peace, as much as we want to reason it and explain it, we can't. You cannot explain the inner peace that a holy God brings to our lives when he's in control and I'm not. The overwhelming sense that God's got this. And by the way, this peace is part of the direct answer from God. Sometimes we're looking for the next answer. Sometimes we're looking for, God, you need to answer my prayer and supplication exactly what I, the way I want it to be answered and exactly the time I want it answered. We all know that's just where we live. This supplication, God, we need an answer today. But you know how often God answers is not with, I'm going to answer just the way you tell me right now. It's this, I'm going to give you peace that I'm in control. Timing doesn't always look the way you think it should. The details don't always look the way you think it should. But I know this, that I am of God of all peace. And it's okay. Dad's here. Casting all your cares upon him. Why? First Peter. Because he cares for you. Peace of God which passes all understanding. And this is a beautiful part of this whole thing. And we'll wrap this up quickly. Will guard your hearts and minds. I love this because we go to the tenderness of a Savior who's got you now to the, this military term of this soldier flexing with all he's got standing his ground. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. No one's getting in there. These Roman soldiers, these retired Roman citizens from that are sitting in the congregation at the church of Philippi would know exactly what he's talking about. Some of these men who stood their ground in the Roman military. And what is Paul saying? That peace of God, he's guarding your heart. It's a word that means to set up an attentive watch. To bring into custody and protect with maximum security. It's okay, dad's here and he has set up a perimeter around the vulnerable thoughts and feelings of our lives. He says that. He'll guard our, our hearts and our minds. I don't want to you know, distinguish this too much, but, but I really do think there's a sense of he will guard your thoughts and your feelings, your affections. As God is standing guard 
He's going to guard this with his peace. And then I want to highlight the last three words of this entire discussion as it's consistent with the entire book of Philippians. None of this happens apart from in Christ Jesus. We cannot have peace without Christ Jesus. This peace is inseparable from the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the good news of rescue, who has made a peaceful relationship possible and effective. Christ has. We cannot participate in this guiding peace without Jesus. And by the way, this is so Trinitarian, the Trinity. We've been talking about the Trinity in our, in our theology study on Wednesday nights. This is so Trinitarian. Think about this. The peace of whom? God. Through the inner comfort of whom? The Holy Spirit. In fact, the Spirit is called the Comforter in John. And how is this all made possible? In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you write down a passage, write down Romans 5. Because this week, if you have a chance to go there. Because in this passage, it says, But God demonstrated his love towards us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. In this passage, it shows us how deeply the Trinity cares for what you're going through right now. He loves you. Brings us back to... The key idea is we stand firm in the Lord. We must choose to turn all of our anxieties into prayers. We must obey this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay. Dad is here. And he will guard your heart with his peace intensely. So what? Let's, let's wrap this up and go home. So what? How is this passage going to make any difference in my life this week? As I walk out these doors, how am I going to walk out differently than we just walked in? I would say we need to pose this question very practically. What am I worrying about right now? On the top of your page, very possibly you wrote down something you're worried about. What are you worrying about right now? What anxiety won't let you go? You pillow your head at night. What anxiety overwhelms you and even brings tears to your eyes? Please understand, and in no way do I want to be disingenuous through this sermon, because it's like a big, broad brushstroke right now. I understand there are some intense burdens in this room right now. You're struggling deeply, and I don't want to just seem disingenuous and say, oh, just, just, just give them to Jesus. But at the same time, I do want to be very clear and say, yes, give them to Jesus. I know there's a place for biblical counseling, and maybe there's someone here that need to take that burden, and the body of Christ comes around them, surrounds them, and says, here's what, here's what God's word said. Yes, there's a dynamic place for that in Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. Yes, there's a place for finding help in the body of Christ. Yes, there's a time to talk to a pastor. But what is our first response? That's the question. Is our first response to go to, you know, social media with my burden. Uh, Facebook or Instagram or any one of those sorts. Is our first response to go to webdoctor.com and just pour out our worry finding out what they say about my health concern? Is my first response even to go to my dad or to my mom or to my wife or my brother and sister or even pastor? What is my first response? I'm going to tell you according to this passage very clearly, as loving as I can say it, our first response must always be cast your burden to the Lord. He will guard your heart with peace. I do want to take a 
quick minute for some pastoral biblical clarification. And here's the biblical clarification. There is one thing to worry about. Didn't you just say there's nothing to worry about? I would say, according to the scripture, there is one dynamic thing to worry about. And that is this. You're standing before a holy God. If you have never come to Christ by grace through faith and the forgiveness of Christ's cross, let me be clear, you are in danger of eternal condemnation. Would you come to Christ today? Would you come to him by grace through faith in Christ alone? Oh friend, would you come to Christ today? Would you lay down the burden of your sin at the cross? Let this be the day, just as Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress releases his burden to the cross. Would this be the day? I would say one other question is this, for all of us today, for all of us this week as we wrap this up in prayer, will I choose to obey God with my burden this week? This doesn't promote a passivity in my spiritual walk, but it does promote a dependability, a dependence in my spiritual walk. Today, will I choose to obey the clear imperative of the scripture and do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.